Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. Hi, welcome along to today's episode where I am talking to Dr. Liz Gregory, who is a consultant clinical psychologist who has just retired. We are discussing all things psychology, how the career has changed over time, what her clinical passions have been. We also cover her top tips for aspiring psychologists, as well as thinking about navigating work whilst struggling with a physical health diagnosis and all that that entails. Hope you find it so useful. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. I love what we can learn about the psychology profession and about ourselves from people at different stages of the journey. It's my absolute pleasure to chat with our guest for today's episode, Dr. Liz Gregory. I hope you'll find it useful and I look forward to catching up with you on the other side. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, like and comment. And if you are listening on podcast, for example, Spotify or Apple, please do rate and review. Hi, just want to welcome our guest for today, Dr. Liz Gregory. Hi, Liz. Hi, really nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, thank you for saying yes. So you caught my eye on Twitter because you were celebrating your retirement from being a consultant clinical psychologist, weren't you? That's right. Yeah, I retired uh, last week after 32 years in the NHS and 27 years in One Health Board and 21 years as Joint Head of Child and Family Psychology Services there in Gwent. Amazing. Well done to you. And I'm sure that so many people, both clients and staff alike, have benefited so richly from that real, real dedication to your work. So thank you on their behalf. I'm sure they've also said thank you to you in in your retirement cards and things as well. Yeah, it was a it was a really lovely event and it was a, a particularly poignant event because I've spent the last seven months um actually being treated for breast cancer. So to to return and retire and to have all of that acknowledgement, having to really put some distance between myself and work in order just to get on with the job in hand, which was obviously putting my health first, um, made made it particularly, yeah, poignant, I would say, and very different to how I'd anticipated it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hope that you are in better health now. Yeah, absolutely. I've come to the end of my treatment and I've rung the bell, which is the the, um, 
kind of punctuation of treatment in cancer services it's it's always a tricky one because I think once you've had cancer you never actually fully believe um that you're you're over it uh and I've got my first milestone scan in August so I'm obviously you know anticipating that but as far as the treatment has gone it's gone as well as it could so I'm keeping everything crossed Amazing. I'm so pleased for you. And even when you. I hear you and others say, you know, I've rung the bell, gosh, it really gets my feels, you know, <laughs> it's massive, isn't it? It's so significant. It is. It's a really tricky one. And I, you know, I was a bit ambivalent about it, if I'm honest, for, for lots and lots of reasons. I think firstly, because as I say, you never quite feel it's over. Secondly, I never quite know how it feels for the other people in the waiting area who who may you know be a long way from that or may actually not be able to do that so that's always a bit difficult but um it also felt like an important thing to do for my family who've been supporting me and just to to you know as i say it, it's a punctuation and it marks uh, a change of phase is how i see it rather than a woohoo it's all over i you know i don't quite see it like that yeah so it might be that it feels more of a rite of passage for your family but i love that you're so mindful of what others around you you know might make of that well once a psychologist <laughs> yeah but I, I have worked really hard actually at trying to um, put myself first through this journey and you, you know obviously finishing work in order to concentrate on treatment was was big for me because I've, I've not had a period of sickness as far as I can remember at all so it, it was quite a big step but a really really important one yeah, and I guess there's still knowing that we're allowed to be mindful and really pleased that our own health has has you know had a great outcome, whilst also being moved by the distress of others. You know, it's that mutual exclusivity, isn't it? You know, sure. you're allowed to have one and the other. Absolutely, absolutely. And and cancer's been a real challenge for that one, I think. Mm. So tell me a little bit, if you can, about your experience of being treated by the NHS um, rather than working within it? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been phenomenal, I have to say. And I think, um, you know, I have had a bit of private treatment along the way as well, because my husband happens to have private care. But it is, it's quite interchangeable when it comes to cancer. And I think, um, uh, you know, every interaction I've had with every member of staff has been just incredible. And I, I, I it, that's not always the case. I know that. I'm fully aware of that. But I can genuinely say that from my personal experience. And I guess I'm very grateful for that at a time when I needed it most. Um, and just the, the the competence and the kindness and the um, I, I think the reassurance that you're in this system and we know what we're doing and you're going to go through this 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 and this and um you know it's it's just been terribly straightforward it's been grueling i'm not going to underestimate that at all and i've had some really um tricky experiences so when i had my first chemotherapy i had um a neutropenic sepsis response so had to be admitted very urgently but again all part of what they see all part of what they um, can anticipate and all part of what they're geared up to address. So it, it really has been pretty spectacular, I have to say. I'm delighted that you found that to be the case. Um, I really am. And that you've, you know, got good stuff to say and, you know, you've had a good experience and a, and a great outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Can we think a little bit about your career and how that's been for you? So when did you when did you start deciding that you might want to be a clinical psychologist? It's a very long time ago, I have to say. So I did my undergraduate degree and that was a four year degree in psychology in Cardiff. And I chose psychology, I would say, because I didn't know what else to do. And I was okay at at the sciences and I was okay at the arts. So it was it kind of felt like a good combination type degree. Um, And I kind of went into it um, and chose a degree with a year in industry or a year a placement um, opportunity really to help me think about what on earth I was going to do. And I did my year in industry in um, HR and it really served a great purpose because um, it was, you know, a fantastic experience, but I knew it wasn't for me. Um, But I was also, I think I was the first in my family to uh, go to university, didn't see myself as particularly academic at all. And so really wrote myself off the clinical path, which even then was, you know, pretty tough in terms of um, competitiveness and, uh, and who puts themselves through that. So um, I I felt that wasn't for me, but I honestly didn't know what else I was going to do other than it wasn't going to be HR. Um, No disrespect to that at all, but it just wasn't a good fit for me. Um, And so I worked for um, a housing association for uh, adults with learning disabilities. And I think that really introduced me into the world of obviously uh, vulnerable groups but also empowerment and positive choice and change and that was very much at the time when the hospitals were closing down and adults were going out into the community and I just absolutely loved it and then I applied for a job as a data input clerk at um a hospital at the time and it, it was doing research into um, interventions for people with learning disabilities and I think I wouldn't dare uh, apply for an assistant psychology post at that time because again I didn't see myself as as being able and capable of doing that and pursuing that um, but the I didn't get the job um, but the person on the interview panel said there is another job and I think you'd be really great for that so y- you know just I needed that confidence building um incentive I think to take that step and so I, I I got a job as a psychology assistant absolutely loved it I mean I you know I shudder now at the level of responsibility assistants were given in those days and and particularly in learning disability services because I think that recruitment was really really tough um, and so they would fill a gap for a qualified person with an assistant and kind of you'd be off on your own in a team and 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 so-called doing the job but I I learned a huge amount in that job and um, had you know great fun and, and, and great support and it gave me the confidence to apply for clinical training so I applied um, and I remember I also you know assumed I wouldn't get on um, and I had a car that I was going to sell and travel you know do the kind of year-round traveling around the world so I felt I put myself into that position where I had a great alternative you know I wasn't going to be too disappointed uh, and I got on and that that was the story and um, uh, it was the Plymouth course that I, I, I did my clinical training in. Amazing and that all went relatively smoothly I hope. Yeah, yes. I mean, it is, you know, it's a challenging um, course. Of course it is. Um, But I would say I I 
genuinely enjoyed it. It was a very well organized course. Um, it was one of those uh, courses at the time, and I'm not sure if they still happen in this way, where you get allocated your placement um, health board or trust as it was at the time. And then you go and do blocks of, of teaching down in Plymouth. So there was a, um, you know, real variety. And I suppose a bit of an escape in a different world that you could kind of have a bit of respite from one and go into the other and a bit of respite from that and go into the other. And I, I think that worked really well for me and suited me. Um, and it was the first course to get the doctorate. So I think there was a lot of academic pressure, but I think there was a rigour to that, that that I really benefited from. So I remember we had to do um, on top of um, a placement case studies and research, we had to do a lot of essays so one big essay per placement but also 10 short essays per placement and I think that gave me a real skill in extracting important information and putting it down and not worrying too much about it which I think has really really served me well because you, you know you can pour over for hours on end if you've got one essay but if you've got 10 um you've got to crack on and I think that that was really really um good training actually Amazing. So reducing some of that perfectionism. Just Absolutely. Done yeah. it and perfect. Let's get it passed. Let's go. There's going to be another one in a minute anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. And also that, you know, giving you some real confidence in core competencies and core concepts and core research papers that, you know, that just reading them, you know, obviously you, you get some insight into that. But when you've actually got to pull out that information and extract it, it was good. Mm. We moaned about it all the time. Don't get me wrong. It, you know, but in hindsight, when I look back, that, that, that was a good training for me particularly. Yeah, and I think that's where a cohort can really come in, isn't it? You mentioned that you kind of found the compartmentalising quite useful, and I know I did too. And our our teaching was that it was on a Monday and a Friday with placement days being Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So it felt like a really nice cushion either side to kind of do the how was your weekend, all of that jazz, and then go into placement and then come out the other side and go, well, how was it? How's your weekend? Yeah. And so for me, that compartmentalizing, but in a really cushioned, safe way felt yeah. really nice. Yeah, that sounds great, actually. Yeah. So did you continue in what they now call intellectual disabilities, but some people do say learning disabilities, or did you move into a different clinical specialty once you qualified? Yeah, my my first role was um, for children um, with um, intellectual disabilities, learning disabilities, and particularly um, an intensive support service for um, children who um, whose behaviours were challenging to services. Um, and yeah, that was very intensive. And I did that for a year. And then I moved to the health board where I've, I've spent the rest of my uh, career. So what have you been doing in the health board? What's your role been? Yeah, well, I, I, I started as a what we call a borough psychologist. So there were um, five boroughs in our region and each region had one psychologist. So we were very sparse and it was one of those, you know, again, I think recruitment and resources were a huge factor in this, but um, you could start as a borough psychologist at a very junior level, but it was actually a very senior role. So I guess that preceptorship and um, being supported in the job and developing in the job was something that was absolutely part and parcel of, of um, 
you, you know what what the careers were at that time um and i absolutely loved it it was it was a great service it had fantastic values um and i loved the community that um you know was my borough and it was a big sense of responsibility as well in that um you know whatever came through the door you you were the psychologist who was going to be dealing with it so that 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 felt huge at the time but i think a really good um experience of kind of learning that that's okay we've got the skills we can apply them to whatever the the dilemmas are uh, and kind of taking a breath and not feeling you've got to fix everything um but that the the skills you bring are about curiosity and understanding and taking time and being alongside um so it was a fantastic training um in 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 i suppose that aspect of the job as well as the huge variety um of of uh, issues that families might present with at any one time yeah I think that's going to be really useful advice for anybody listening to this as well because the nature of this beast that we work in is that you're going to have many placements or many roles and you've got to be able to sort of just run with it and I know when I first qualified I thought I was um, going to be sort of getting kid gloves and that it would be quite leisurely start but no they'd be waiting for me for months so they were keen for me to run with it and they said you are in, a, in the nicest possible way they were really nice about it but you're qualified we trust you to do this yes you know absolutely. to go out there and do the job absolutely yeah and I think that's such an important aspect of our training that we we need the confidence to to be reassured we've been doing this for a very very long time and what we're bringing is those skills not a magic wand not the answer and not the years of experience on the job that other people in the team have and um, so uh, trusting that it is about that difference that we bring and that that's valued and valuable is is a really important part of the job I think. I think so. But I found that really empowering, actually, that they weren't saying, well, you're not quite finished yet. You know, um, they were saying, you know, go out there, do it, smash it. And if there's any problems, just bring them back here and we'll talk about it in supervision. Exactly. Absolutely. So you must have seen your fair share of aspiring psychologists, assistant psychologists, trainee psychologists, newly qualified psychologists across your career. Um How's that been for you watching the profession change over time? Yeah, it's been fabulous. I think it's been one of the most exciting parts of the job is that um, you know, seeing the journey that people are on. And we've often had people who've come as placement students, then come back as assistants, then come back as qualified staff. So I just love that full circle. And also that message to us as a service that we were getting it right enough that they wanted to come back and that, um, you, you know, that we supported them on that journey. So I've, I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, I think the changes, it's, it's really tough because when you're in it, you don't kind of notice the the stepwise changes and I think one of the things that we've been passionate about uh, in our service is that the core values remain so the things that I was saying 20 years ago that are important for children and families are still important for children and families but um, you know I hope that we're a very broad church uh, in our service and that psychology is a very broad church and that 
we're continuously learning um, and that curiosity and not thinking we've got the answer um, but that we keep learning and we keep, we keep open being open to new ideas new ways of working new ways of thinking it's just part and parcel of I think what we've tried to um, promote in our service and I think it's I think it's absolutely vital um, yeah and I feel passionately about that and I feel really um proud of our profession for that that it's there's not an end point we're, we're and, and and not to feel bad about what you didn't know before that that's all part of the process and our job is to bring the knowledge base that we have now to the difficulties that people are experiencing and see how that fits but to never think this is the answer and you need to do this in order to solve your problem so it, you, you know it fits quite well with the evolving nature of the profession i think Hmm, I definitely shudder when I think about my first experience of offering therapy in a youth prison because I was rubbish, rubbish. But I was still doing the best I could with the skills and resources I had at that time. And it was still useful for the clients that were getting that. It's just I know I'd do a much better job. Well, of course, and, and, and wouldn't we all? And you know, and I think in child psychology, and as a parent, you know, that's the that's exactly the feeling. It's like if I knew then what I know now, but I didn't, and I did everything with the absolute best intention. Uh, and also, you, you know, I talk about the the values that endure. The most powerful value, I think, is the power of the relationship. Uh, and if you're working hard at creating relationships, it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, on your career trajectory, that's going to be the most powerful ingredient in any therapeutic change. Yeah, and I'm a parent as well. I've got two young boys. They are, they're going to want me to say what they almost are. So almost 10 and almost seven. Um, and for me, one of the most important things I can do is to repair any ruptures that crop up between myself when I haven't quite lived to my values of how I want to parent Absolutely. but also encouraging them to repair ruptures rather than just gloss over them because I think that's really really important and we can absolutely learn to do that with clients as well can't we to repair any ruptures in our relationship Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and obviously our, our um, relationships with professions, with teams, with, with other services, it's exactly the same as that, that we're on a journey together and we're open to learning. Uh, and we, and if, if we've got it wrong, then it's absolutely our job to, to let people know that, but that we're open to, 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 doing, to doing differently next time. Can I hear a bit more about the core values, the things that you think are really incredibly important when working with children, young people and families? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I think our job as psychologists is to really promote, promote that relational, developmental, contextual understanding of children's distress uh, and, you know, to kind of um, see that as our role, regardless of the presenting problem. Those things are, are, are absolutely critical to our understanding. Uh, and obviously, um, from a uh, rights-based approach, children's rights, the importance of hearing their voice, empowerment, but also I think the um, importance of their context, the family, uh, the system around them and the vehicles for change that they have in their wider system is absolutely pivotal to our work um, and, and really kind of more significant often than children who are often in a very disempowering role and can't affect the changes that will make the difference to them. Um, and also, most importantly, I think that every child is unique. So um, if you've, 
you know, if you've seen this before, then, to, you know, it's not going to be helpful to go into a situation thinking you know and you understand. You've got to be curious and open to understanding it from their perspective and that it's impacting them very differently to how it might have impacted somebody else. And that's not to um, dismiss the importance of um you know, knowing about an area, understanding it, having been through that journey before. But I think that all has to be in the background and you've, the foreground has to be um, that this is a unique, u- unique child with a unique family, with a unique set of circumstances. And your job is to really listen and understand that and fit what you've got to offer with, with the strengths of that situation for them. Yeah, I think a really powerful question can be, well, how is that for you? then you're getting their unique stance aren't you absolutely absolutely lovely so thinking about career progression of course you got on to being a consultant clinical psychologist how does that work what's what what does that involve gosh well again that was a long time ago and um i think it's fair to say that as i say my first uh, my first job was quite brief i was there for a year and then i joined a service that really aligned with um my values and i absolutely loved the work and um the manager at the time was retiring and so it was that dilemma of um i love where i work and there's the potential that somebody new is going to come in and change where I work or I could put my hat in the ring uh, and and that felt like a big step for me I was I think I was you know I uh, can't remember I was about 33 at the time and I was pregnant with my first child you know it was the most rubbish time for thinking um, that I might go into that uh, leadership role uh, but a colleague of mine was having exactly the same dilemma uh, and was in a similar state of uh, stage of life in fact she had three under the age of five so the last thing she wanted was to be a head of child psychology and so we had one of those tentative conversations about well what could we do could we do it together and we came up with a plan of going um, putting ourselves forward as a job share and uh, I've been job sharing with Rachel for 21 years um, so I think it was it was a really gentle step uh, into what is a huge can be a huge leap and to to be able to do that together with somebody and to um, you know when you're feeling absolutely overwhelmed and like you're out of the depth for them to say, no, it's fine, we're going to break it down and this is the next thing that we're going to do and for you to do exactly that for them, I think really helped us in the early days. Um, And I think that the the job sharing thing was so important also in giving us confidence, courage, um, bravery, you know, when when things were getting tougher uh, because the health service has been through all sorts of journeys along that, um, along the way. so yeah, I think I think I was fortunate that that timing coincided with someone who I felt I could do the job with, um, and that really helped. What can be quite a big transition. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. And thinking about the, you know what a privilege and pleasure to have cultivated that depth of relationship with your colleague over these twenty years as well. Absolutely. It's 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 brilliant. And, you know, there's huge sadnesses that that's come to an end. But it's the sort of relationship where we're just delighted we can actually have some fun together now and not, you know, we've all we've had a lot of fun along the way, but we can only have fun. That's the only 
nature of our relationship now so that's you've, you've graduated that, exactly <laughs> a different so that, level of your relationship exactly so that's brilliant but I you know I think um in, in fact it was really interesting at our at my retirement due um our heads of service for psychology also job share and apparently we were the inspiration for for for, for their relationship to to take it that uh, you know to to pursue that particular way of working um, and I think it's just such a useful model uh, for all sorts of reasons um, particularly if you have children and you prefer to work part-time it mm. it means that when you're not in work somebody else is and I think that allows work to be more in its place which is a huge privilege actually in a job like ours which can feel all-consuming at times. Mm, sounds like you're trailblazers and permission givers but also you know everyone else yeah can do they can function without you the world can go on absolutely yeah and I think that's right I, I, and I was very fortunate actually um in that I had a career break during that time and was supported to have a career break both by my organization but also by my a job share partner who stepped up into the role um you know she was at a stage in her life where that felt possible um so it just gives that little bit of flexibility. Uh, and I went to Canada for two and a half years um, back in 2014. And I, and I think, you know, for me, that gave me a completely different experience and meant I came back into the role fresher with new ideas and with new energy. So I think it really served a useful function at all sorts of levels. So were you working when you were in Canada or was that a I, career break? It was a career break. My husband's work took us out there um, and I did look into working, but you have to um, have a particular, you have to requalify um, to work in different areas of Canada and they all have different criteria. And I think even my work visa meant I couldn't work in health and education because there's no gaps um, that needed to be filled there in, in Canada. So I took it as permission not to work. Um, but I, I, and I kept ourselves very busy with, you know, making the most of that opportunity. And I had young school-aged children, which obviously mm. took a bit of sort, sorting out as well. But I did volunteer and I volunteered for Roots of Empathy, which is a Canadian um, programme. It's now worldwide, but it's um, started in Canada and it brings a baby and a parent into the classroom and helps children learn about their own emotional um, worlds by learning about the emotional world of the baby. And it's an evidence-based intervention that reduces bullying and increases pro-social play. So I didn't quite switch off from my world, but I, I you know, it was a it was a hugely rewarding um volunteer role to do and absolutely aligned to my values and it's something that I've been passionate about bringing over um here to the UK and it's now in 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 the region where I worked um and it you know it's just a great program on all sorts of levels but again it really fits with what I think is important for children to experience I haven't heard of Roots of Empathy that sounds fascinating yeah it's it's brilliant it's got a a really good website and um, really great support from a whole range of um, areas, particularly psychological mm. and social, um, you know, neuro neurodevelopmental aspects. So it's sort of, of building on the why love matters type approach by Sue Gerhardt. Is that that the right vein that I'm in? It, 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 yes, and also, um, you, you know, just the 
the the power of relationships exactly and why um you know what how important it is to understand your own emotional world in order to understand the emotional world of others uh, is is absolutely central to it. But it's it's great fun as well. And obviously, um, the teacher has a great experience because they're able to um, stand back a bit and the instructor takes that particular aspect of the class. Um, and the parent and the baby have a fantastic experience because you literally, as a uh, mum or dad, walk into a classroom and 30 children just delight in your baby and the baby delights in the children and, and one of the most powerful things about it which really struck me and I'd read about it um, when I'd done my research on it but um, to see it happen in the classroom was extraordinary that the baby somehow homes in on the most vulnerable children and I think um, and delights in them and 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 I think you know probably that's the unconditional regard um, uh, that the baby has for anybody who shows them delight and for that child who maybe is used to being seen in a particular way or being in trouble or you know whatever it happens to be to have a baby just respond and receive them and delight in them is really powerful too it's 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 really it's a great program Absolutely. It sounds, yeah, it sounds incredible. It sounds incredible. Thank you for letting me know about that. I'm going to, I'm going to have a little bit of a research on that one. Um, could you offer any advice or guidance for aspiring psychologists you think might be useful? Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I, I think if you're absolutely passionate about it, don't give up because I've seen so many um, psychologists uh, take you know a bit of time to to get on the path and 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 then they do so I think that that's one bit of advice but I think you've got to know that it's right for you because otherwise it can feel um, a bit relentless and unforgiving um, if it you know if it doesn't work out so I think that that's one bit of advice I suppose the main thing I would say and I think this is a really hard one to really trust and believe is to be yourself that actually um, you know, that's the thing that comes across most strongly is your your passion, your internal drive uh, uh, about why you want to do this particular um, job, your your um, your values, um, you know, and and not to feel that you have to be the expert at all, but as I was saying earlier, that openness and that curiosity and that continuous learning um, is, is really, really important, particularly at that trainee stage, I think. Um, but, you know, I genuinely think it's really important throughout the whole career trajectory. Lovely. That's brilliant, helpful advice. Thank you. What's next for you, Liz? What comes next at this, yeah, the opposite end of, of the clinical yeah. psychology career? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the, there's lots of reasons why I chose to take the opportunity to finish now. Um, but I think one of the main ones is that I've still got some gas left in the tank. I didn't want, um, it, you know, I didn't want to end tired or, you know, at, at the end of my um, energy levels for the job um, and, and thought now was a good time to press pause. Um, I think the cancer diagnosis has obviously uh, brought lots of things into sharp relief and the need to have the summer off and not do very much and just um, 
catch up with myself really and what the last year has meant because I've literally just finished you know I had my last consultation with the oncologist last week so I'm very very new to the end of the journey and I think ironically um, the end of the journey is the hardest bit because you're out on your own um, I think it's terribly reassuring to have anybody prepared to take a look at a lump or a bump or listen to your worry when you're in the medical um, environment but it's really tough when you're out the other end of it um, and you know I, I, I'm going to be doing some I've signed up for a moving forward course for example which you know helps you with that stage and you know obviously as a psychologist I know lots of the stuff but I think to 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 go there um, as me having been through cancer and hear it afresh and to look for those little nuggets um, that I'm sure will be there is going to be really helpful but also really interesting to be on the other end of that and then I'm just going to see what emerges. Is, is the moving forward course for cancer patients or for people that are retiring yeah. it seems like no oh it could gosh, be for no. both it could be couldn't it I'm sure there'll be lots and lots of um, yeah uh, bits that will resonate for both of those stages you know it's a life stage and in fact I, I had my surgery um the day before my youngest child left home to go to university so I've oh, had gosh. a lot of you know big life milestones events mm. exactly huge milestones so I, I think I need that time just to catch up with myself and see you know what was that all about and where am I now um so I'm looking so forward the moving to forward specifically for health is that it's 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 yeah. specifically sorry I'm, I've not been clear it's specifically right. um for um people who've had a primary breast cancer so it's it's okay. kind of designed specifically around that although I'm sure as I say the general themes will very much resonate yeah and I think um, you know there's definite parallels with the work we do as psychologists as well because of course there's long waiting lists for for mental health as well and then when they're when they're better they're, they're no longer sort of meet our access criteria and so they graduate out of our service then they're like oh but now what I trusted you I like this relationship and it's totally. how we go forwards totally yeah I mean one of the just thinking about um, our service and how it's developed over the years, one of the things I feel most proud about is that we've really challenged that idea of um, you need to meet a threshold and then um, and then you have your treatment and then you're out um, model of working with children and families who are experiencing mental health difficulties because it just doesn't fit it's just you know it doesn't fit with their development which means they're changing all of the time it doesn't fit with um when you need that help at a particular point in time so we've developed a lot of services and uh you know based on the principle of no wrong door um and that's really about empowering all professionals in children's lives to feel more confident and competent to be able to manage things, having quick and easy access to expertise. So the helplines, dropping groups, all of those sorts of things, as well as obviously um, when those things don't work, um, specific um, interventions that, that are evidence-based. But also one of our kind of key um, hopes is that um, we've developed services that that really um, empower all professionals to feel confident and competent in this area. Um, that it's not a separate thing, but actually, teachers in school, 
um, youth workers, the police, anybody who comes into children and young people feels that they've got a bit of an understanding and demystifying um, what mental health is. So, yeah, I, th I feel really proud of that aspect of it, that we've really moved away from, you know, waiting times being the thing that um, determines whether or not you get help or not and meeting a particular criteria in a particular way at a particular point in time which is the least helpful thing for children and families mm. I think. It's the power of upskilling as we go along and the consultancy model isn't it and spreading a little bit of what we know you know far and wide so that it kind of becomes self-perpetuating really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just about knowledge, it's about availability as well. So I think that, you know, we know this as psychologists, don't we, that we can get trained in something uh, and feel confident and competent on that day. And then something will uh, throw us or and, we, and we'll feel like we've lost that. So I think it's that continuous opportunity to um, have drop-in supervision, consultation, um, feel that you there's somebody at the end of the phone, just that support that I think we're really privileged in our profession to prioritise, but other professions just don't have that. Um, and so we're very keen to build that level of support and supervision and advice and consultation um, into every aspect of, of, of children's lives, really. Amazing. Thank you so much for um, spending your time, one of your first weeks of retired life, um, with us helping guide us through your career and what's been really important and offering your best advice um, and wishing you the very best with this next stage of your career and may your health continue to be vibrant. Thank you. That's really kind and it's been a, a, an absolute privilege. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for our guests for today. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with Liz and, and I find myself thinking, oh, I'd have loved to have been Liz's trainee or Liz's assistant. I feel like I would have really been nurtured really well and guided through the process. So I hope that you, whoever you're working with, have got a good relationship with your supervisors. And I hope you found Lizzie's advice and guidance and wise words really useful. I'd love to know what you think to this episode. Do come along to join me on my socials. I'm Dr. Marianne Trent everywhere. You can also catch up with me in the Aspiring Psychologist Community free Facebook group. I will look forward to delivering the next episode of the podcast, which is available from Monday, 6am. Until then, thanks for being part of my world. Take care and be kind to yourself. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. This podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hello, my name is Veronica Kasova I live in Edinburgh And I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest 
and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.